that's a very different concept in the business world. Uh, like the 80s, like you would never, you know, in the 80s or, you know, early on that it was just like you go to work. And, and, and so this is the different culture. And I'm trying to educate people that the new generation, they want to work for a place that's, that they believe in and that they feel morally connected to. And it's until we have vulnerability in our leadership that we're going to gain these, this talent that's going to come in. Because right now the talent has all the options right now. Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast brought to you by Cardavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business and grow your life. We're back here today with an intriguing conversation with Marcia Alvarado. The title is How to Be an Inclusive Leader. Now, Marcia has had an incredible professional experience as a professional engineer working in the construction industry. She's also been involved in the modeling world in terms of modeling men's fashion. She's also been a part of creating mentorship programs for the construction industry. She's also created an organization called the Alvarado Experience, which is working with companies around diversity, equity, inclusion. And in fact, she is taking a leadership role in her current organization in the construction world to build a safer, more diverse, inclusive, and equitable organization. And she's gonna talk about so many different things today, understanding different mindsets we need to support DEI initiatives, understanding some of the basic differences between people of difference. And most importantly, she's gonna talk about leadership examples, courageous leadership of what individuals and organizations can do to create a safer, more diverse, equitable, and inclusive environment, as well as that sense of belonging that is so vital in this arena. Leadership Junkies podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. We're excited to be back here today with our guest, Marcia Alvarado. And let me tell you why. I'm going to just read this briefly. She writes in her bio that she had a determination in her voice at the age of four to pursue a career as an engineer. She was standing on the London Bridge. And these are the words she uttered. I want to build buildings when I grow up, which <laughs> apparently was a bit of a shock for mother. Uh, but her mother apparently <laughs> knew to be supportive and her child's dream. So that's where this started for Marcia. And there's so much more to this than building buildings. Marcia graduated from the Florida Institute of Technology, the degree in civil engineering, 2004. Listen to all this. She played collegiate basketball. She then went on to get a career a degree, a master's from the University of Florida. She got into structural engineering. She's a licensed professional engineer for the past 16 years. She is currently the structural market leader for WGI in Tampa, as well as the committee lead for their diversity, equity, and inclusion committee. She also does modeling. She also has been part of an organization called Sharp Suiting, which is an LBGTQ plus owned and operated luxury custom suiting brand. She's also created her own consultancy focused on DEI that she started called the Alvarado Experience. So this <laughs> is going to be a rich conversation from someone who's already living a very rich life experience. So welcome, Marcia. Thank you so much, Jeff. And thank you, Craig, for having me on. Yeah, glad to have you. Yeah, sometimes when I hear those bios, I'm like, crap, I've done a lot. <laughs> 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 this is where all those gray hairs keep popping up from. You know, well, it's um, better than thinking, man, I've kind of <laughs> sucked in my life. <laughs> you just, you don't realize when you're going through the journey, that you you get a chance to look back and uh, I think a lot of reflection has been happening in the last couple of years for myself personally so it's uh it's been fruitful and, and you just kind of realize that over time you, you know I used to be very goal oriented uh you know here's the goal become an engineer become get licensed you know and do that typical like here's the stepping stones to you know for your life into a world of chaos where you decide to become a freaking model. And next thing you know, like you're running a fashion brand and, and you're 
doing social media influencing. And next thing you know, you're in diversity and equity training. And like, you just realize that sometimes um, having a path without a goal is sometimes very fruitful. And and, uh, you realize that it can take you to many places and it starts to open up, you know, my Virgo mindset of always having a plan into a world where, you know, the journey is the plan, you know? Mm. That's a really good point. Well, give us a little bit more about the journey and your background story, Marcia. Well, um, you know, I was a military brat. Uh, So, you know, growing up, I was moving around, you know, the United States and Europe with my my family. Um, You know, uh, the London Bridge comment was was true. That was actually a true statement Uh, that did actually happen. Um, My mother can attest to that. But, you know, I I just kind of grew up in a world where I had a lot of love. Um, and I was able to be my, my true self, which was very much of a tomboy, you know, running around in ripped holes in my jeans and playing basketball in the street until the, you know, the light, the street lights came on at night with a lot of the military kids and, you know, being around a lot of diversity because you're in the military playing with a lot of military kids, you know, I never been in a world without it. Um, and my mom was a tomboy. She was a cop in the air force. So she let me be me in the sense of, you know, who I am. And so I got to grow up in a world where I was able to be accepted for who I was, but I kind of still didn't know who I was, right? Um, Until I got a little bit older. And so I I was able to be free and I played basketball and, you know, uh, having a set father as a Lieutenant Colonel in the Air Force, you were had high expectations, you know, where 95 average and above is acceptable. You know, uh, uh, so it was it was, you know, all about school and all about basketball for many years. And I was very lucky to have an opportunity to get a scholarship, you know, to go play. And um, and yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. Um, and but when you move around a lot, you, you don't know what you miss or do you don't you don't really know what you're missing. And so I didn't have this like upbringing of like being in one place, you know. So um, I don't know. As I look back on it at the time, it it. it wasn't very fun to leave all your friends that you built over two or three years and then you just move on. Um, and then, you know, the age of social media came about and you got to like reconnect with people that you've never think you would ever see again. And that was, that was a different time for sure. But, um, but yeah, I, I had a, I, I got to grow up and kind of be me and, and a lot of people in my position weren't able to do that. So I, I feel really blessed about that. Um, and you know, I had my, my struggles for sure. Um, you know, starting to date was very interesting (laughs) and uh, in college for me and, and just kind of like go through that process. But, um, you know, when I got into college, it was, it was all about school and basketball, you know, like I had to keep my grades up and there wasn't a lot of time to just do anything else in between. And so basketball and, and getting a degree in engineering was not something that people thought was viable or, you know, sustainable for four and a half years. But, um, you know, I was kind of dumb to it. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I can, of course I can do this. Like, so I just went into it with like kind of blinders and, you know, just if anybody told me that I couldn't do it, I was just more of a, a mission. So, um, the resiliency, I think of going through college and, and doing something like that really does, um, play a factor, you know, in, in who I am now. So you've had an interesting, uh, I want to get to the diversity, equity, inclusion conversation, but you've had a really unique journey. You, you, since you were four, at least you wanted to be build building. So you've been an engineer professionally from the beginning. (laughs) And then we layer onto that. You got into modeling after you were into engineering. Uh, You also got involved with this uh, custom suit brand for it's a LBGTQ plus owned business for that community. Mm-hmm. Just talk a little bit about these different pieces of you yeah. going up in these activities. So when I first started my career, I got a job in New York City. That was my first job out of college. And um, I worked at an engineering, uh, multi-service engineering firm. And um, about like, I don't know, six or eight months in and realizing that after playing basketball and majoring in engineering full time the last four and a half years, like I went to work in New York, went to an office every day. And I'm like, this is it. Like, I just go to work every day. Like there was this idea that I didn't have something else, right. I didn't have something else to kind of release my creativity, my, my work ethic of, in terms of being an athlete. So I kind of went into like depression mode a little bit without basketball. Um, and I just kind of like 
they realized like, is this going to be the rest of my life? Just going to work every day. And, and I love the work, but it was kind of like this idea, like I was working even 10, 12 hours a day. So there was a lot of opportunity for me to grow in the company. But um, I just kind of realized like, this is it. Like, just get up, go to work, come home. Like, so I got into, um, I got a second job <laughs> because that's what you do when you're in New Yorker. You only, you work two or three jobs. Um, but I ended up, I had worked in college, like in retail. Like if I ever had a job, I was always pretty much good with customer service and retail. So I got a job um, right around the corner from my office at the Banana Republic men's store on Fifth Avenue, which I didn't know at the time was like the premier Banana Republic in Manhattan, like all Gap Inc. and, you know, executives would come into this particular store to see the new setup and make sure it's, it's viable for the rest of the other Banana Republics in the country. And I ended up getting a job there um, part time. And that's where I started learning about suiting. That's what I started like styling men that would come into the store. I'm like, oh, I'm going to a wedding. And which would you suggest? And I ended up becoming this like suit expert. I was the only female in the store doing the suiting. Um, everybody else ended up being a gay man. And they were, you know, I was pretty much the token lesbian in the organization at the store. And they loved it because they were like, oh, just go talk to Marcia. Like she's downstairs. She'll help you with all the suiting stuff. And I loved it. So I started learning about styling. Um, I also supplemented my wardrobe with the discount as an entry level engineer. So um, it had a great, um, you know, and it got me into a community, right? Like I got, a, I had a team, you know, at the office or at the, um, at the store and I hung out with them af- af- outside of the store. And um, I just started learning about styling. And so it always became something that I was pretty good at uh, taking, you know, different pieces and putting them together. And so I started building my own wardrobe, you know, flashback now, you know, uh, from when I was what, 22, 23 to 30, I had become an engineer. I had got my master's, I had got my license. And so at the time I got licensed, it was about 28, 29. And I was like, okay, what's the next step? Like, like I was always very like, what's the next step? What's the next step? So Marcia, you're doing all of these different things around fashion. How did that translate as you went forward in your career? Uh, Everybody in the world around me had saw me grow up and kind of like have this really amazing style, like suiting style and dressing up style. And I carried that into my my career in Florida. Um, I had to kind of tone it down a little bit in Florida because not everybody walks around in a suit and tie every day. Right. Um, And in New York, it was very different. And so that's when I started thinking like, well, all these guys, all these people like what I'm wearing and like how I'm wearing it. Like maybe I could be a model, like a male model legitimately, because if, you know, a model essentially sells something for you, like they they see something on you or they see something that they like and they're inspired to buy. Hmm. And everybody, mostly men would come up to me asking me, hey, where did you get those shoes? Hey, where'd you get that tie? Hey, I love that shirt. So it just became like something like, oh, maybe I could make some extra money doing that. <laughs> That's exactly what I was like. Maybe that could be fun. Like I could do it. I could get some free clothes out of the deal. Like those were the two reasons why I did it. I was like, everybody, you know, everybody likes my style. And and a lot of people in the world had misgendered me, like when I was with like a girl or I was just in an environment where I was dressed up. And so I was thinking, well, if they see a guy and I'm selling something to them, maybe I could legitimately become a male model. <laughs> and that was what I started at 31. <laughs> I decided wow. to get in front of photographers and build a portfolio. And my goal at the time, gosh, this is seven years ago. This is before a lot of the gender identity conversations and the trans community was put out. And this was way before, you know, a lot of this had put into mainstream media. And I was legitimately just trying to build a male modeling portfolio. I wasn't trying to be an androgynous model. I wasn't trying to blur the lines. Like it was a legitimate, like, okay, what do I do to become a male model at a high, you know, modeling agency? How are they going to sell me and book me for jobs? And I hired, uh, because I was, you know, able to, I hired photographers, good photographers for very specific uh, reasons, like portrait photography or fashion or lifestyle. And I built a really good portfolio. And this is all on my own time. So, so Marcia, let, let me get this straight. So you are an engineer. You've been an engineer your whole career. And you are living, working as a professional engineer, now market structural market lead for WGI, uh, and doing so as a female, lesbian, and also a male clothing model. 
Um, I'm pretty sure that's unusual in the engineering world, probably in general, but you are very much an other in the industry, right? So talk a little bit about that journey, especially in that, in, in that field. Well, in the very beginning of starting to do the modeling work, I kept it kind of hush hush. I wasn't sure, you know, like I, I didn't, um, I didn't really put it out there. Um, it wasn't until like a friend inside the company who was friends with me on social media, you know, uh, saw my photos and, and there ended up being a, another mutual friend that was higher up in the company who, who came to me and leaned over his cubicle and was and saw photos of me, a uh, vice president of, at the time. And, and he kind of like, I was just an EI and, or just licensed engineer, you know, slave labor, essentially working on projects. And, and he, um, he was like, when are you, when are you going to give up engineering to become a full-time model? Like your pictures are amazing. <laughs> and this was coming from a very conservative individual within the organization, somebody that I would have never have opened up about this stuff. And that's when I was like, oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm really not trying to quit. <laughs> like, I still need my job. Right. So it kind of in the beginning was kind of something I kept to myself. And then I started realizing the impact that people that it was having on inside the company or in, within my community and then within the LGBT community. And my visibility mattered. My visibility was uh, responded to. Just physically taking, like people taking photographs and me putting them out there was a huge form of activism. And people started recognizing that. And that's when I realized that this is so much bigger than just me taking photos and me trying to become a model. I kind of realized at the time there was the influencer world and the blogging world and people, you know, working with other brands and selling that I kind of felt like I needed to build my own platform. And that's when the Avarado experience came about. It, it was originally just a modeling website. Then it became an architecture and fashion blog, just stories <laughs> that I'm sharing about the two things that I love yeah. and how they're, how they're integrated in my life, in my world, like design of a building and design of what I'm wearing that day goes hand in hand in the way that I view the world. So it was kind of a, just a platform. And then, um, and so the engineering world, just, I mean, the people that I talked to, the people that I would share, they were just fascinated just as much as anybody outside of the industry. Um, but it, what it did is it, it created lines of connection, being able to talk about something because I am an engineer about a building or about design. And next thing you know about what I'm doing, but gaining people's trust was something I was really good at and being able to follow through with a product that they, and a service that they were really happy with led to conversations that they would never normally have with somebody within the organization or even a client interaction. And that's when I had realized that I had a lot more power in my words and a lot more power in my physical existence. And that's when I started moving into, you know, understanding about diversity, understanding about inclusion as it relates to, you know, the workforce. Um, I started realizing that I, people were able to listen to me. They were able to understand how I was presenting the information to them, how I was able to educate them. Um, most of the time, I feel like uh, I'm 90% of the time I'm coming from a place of compassion when I talk about these things, where a lot of people in the world that have had been discriminated against or been hurt are coming from a place of anger. And so sometimes it's hard to connect with somebody when they're angry, right? Or when you don't have a way to relate with them. Um, they try to relate, make it relatable, but you just are kind of put off or you're kind of put in a state of like, I don't understand. So I'm just going to not talk about it and, and like move, move around that. Right. Versus somebody who's very open and very, you know, um, coming to you in a very positive way. Um, so that's kind of always been my way. And it's always seemed to work uh, to be able to talk to people that are completely way on the right or way on the left. Um, I've always found a way to be neutral in everything that I do. And, you know, uh, everything stems from a four, you know, four letter world. And that's love whether it's politics or religion or lifestyle, like it's usually love is I make every decision based on that. If everybody that could do that, to, it'd be a different world. Right. Right. Well, um, I can, I can personally attest to that. And you referenced some of the examples as you've gone through life of how people have perceived you. Um, and that actually happened when we first met at the center club a couple months ago, we had, I met you there. Uh, as you said, you were dressed in what I would label. That's my mm -hmm. label men's clothing 
Mm -hmm. um, and as you shared with me later, presenting very masculine. And we had a, a, I was having a really fun conversation with you and I was really enjoying it. And I said, wow, you are such a cool dude. <laughs> and, and you with a lot of grace and compassion said, well, actually I'm a female. And I remember feeling like, oh my God, I totally screwed this up. <laughs> but I caught myself to just say, wow, I'm really sorry. I made some assumptions, which I had. I made mm -hmm. assumptions. And then I said, are you open to some more conversation? And you were. And we had a, I felt like a wonderful conversation after that. So I could get to know you better and ask questions so that, and I could, you know, look at my own assumptions in that. And so I can attest to the fact that I say you came with compassion and grace that allowed the comp that conversation to happen mm -hmm. and allowed connection to happen versus either you turning it off or me turning myself off by saying, I can't believe I mm -hmm. screwed that up. Yeah. So I'm not surprised to hear you say that's how you walk through the world. Well, that was one of the reasons why I got into modeling, right? I, I recognized how society viewed me and I was like, well, I'm going to capitalize off. Like, how can I, like, I was like, how can I find a way? Like, I was never really, because I kind of understood the world that I lived in and I understood how I was presenting myself in terms of my gender expression to the world. Mm -hmm. And I knew that who I was internally in terms of my gender identity, right? I identify as female. I'm okay with that, but I like wearing menswear. Like, and, mm -hmm. and so I understand those, that, that dynamic for myself. And so it doesn't offend me when someone um, mispronouns me. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. I've been a Beta Gamma Sigma member for the last 20 years. If you're looking to hire, the right candidate is closer than you think. Beta Gamma Sigma is the International Business Honor Society, exclusively for students at the top of their class in the top 5% of business schools in the world. BGS members are academic achievers, skilled leaders, and experienced problem solvers, and their skills and experience extend beyond the classroom. They hold chapter leadership positions, attend global business summits, complete ethics trainings, and engage in world-class internships with top corporations. When you hire a Beta Gamma Sigma member, you are truly hiring the best in business. For more information, email bgshonors at betagammasigma.org to learn more about how to hire BGS members. Welcome back. So Marcia, you used the phrase, I want to ask a couple more questions about, you used the phrase gender expression. Mm -hmm. And um, that has, in, some, in a lot of cases, has a unique meaning. In fact, this, I just started yesterday listening to a book called Gender Outlaw by <laughs> Kate Borenstein, because I want to continue to expand my understanding and awareness. And uh, uh, Kate is a uh, trans woman. Mm -hmm. And she was talking about the difference of uh, gender identification, gender classification, gender roles. Uh, and she used the term gender expression and you just mm -hmm. used it. And the way I heard you say it was in the context of often your gender expression is, I think the word you used with me at the center club was masculine. It wasn't male. It was masculine. Mm -hmm. Talk more about the concept of gender expression. So gender expression is the way that you present yourself to the world. And, and, and in any society, at any given time in society, you're going to be viewed differently, right? If I was wearing what I'm wearing today, 100 years ago, I probably would be tarred and feathered somewhere, right? So, but the reality is, is that I'm presenting myself outward to you. Gender identity refers to the person I am inside. How I personally identify it has nothing to do with my expression. It has nothing to do with my sex at birth. It has nothing to do with my sexual orientation. It's who I identify mentally, inside my heart, how I identify inside. And so I think uh, there's a lot of different versions of this. You know, the, the gender, gender bread person is one idea that I presented um, a few months ago to an, another panel. And it's this gender identity is not equal to your gender expression. Just because I'm, you see me expressing myself as a, as masculine doesn't necessarily mean I identify as a male. And that's something that I think a lot of people make assumptions, you know, with they see somebody that they obviously see and they think, oh, that is a female. I can see based on biology that that's a female, but they're dressing masculine. So that means they want to be a male. And that's a very, uh, a, a big assumption that ha that happens to a lot of masculine presenting women 
is that just because I dress masculine doesn't mean I want to be a man. Thanks for sharing that, Marcia. Can you also, you know, go to the next step and talk about this concept in terms of gender identity, gender expression when it comes to the trans community? Um, you know, if I was to identify as a male and I and I my gender expression matched my gender identity, then I maybe go be going through like a transition, right? Where I would transition from female to male so that I can have the identity inside and maybe physically that matches how I feel inside. And that's where the trans, the trans community is so much different than just identifying as a female or gay. Um, and that's, a, and so the fact that we have these labels that kind of lump everybody together, it, it gets a little confusing because um, someone who's trans is not going through the same issues than someone that maybe is just coming out as gay. And I think that society doesn't really understand the difference. You know, one is a gender identity and one is sexual orientation, which only defines who you're with, right? Whether you're bisexual, a lesbian or gay, you know, or you're, or you're open, you're fluid, right? You're, you're open to any, any type of gender. And so this, this idea of gender expression is once you kind of understand that concept, it really helps you to move about the world looking at the queer community, meaning the community that is all encompassing, right? Um, the younger generation have re-embraced and redefined the word queer to be a very positive and impactful word that kind of is an umbrella for the LGBTQIA plus community. So it's an umbrella of, of everything. If you're not straight, <laughs> like you're on the spectrum, right? So the younger generation have, have used queer in, in a, in a very positive light. Um, obviously the use of language changes over time. And so someone, if I was communicating with someone maybe older than me, that was part, that was a lesbian, um, or gay, um, I may not use the word queer because it may be a trigger word for them for when they were coming out, maybe in the 70s or the 80s, because queer was used in a very negative derogatory way. So a lot of education that I do is about the use of language and how it's always going to change. It's always going to evolve. And so people kind of get hung up on these like labels of, oh, you guys are adding so many letters and and I can't even keep up half the time. But the reality, <laughs> no, the reality is, right. The reality is, is that, you know, people are starting, are starting to soul search and figure out what identity they have. Yeah. And that's a very, you know, in the queer community, we do a lot of soul searching for ourselves to be able to figure out who we are. And if every human being would to take, would had to have taken that approach in going through the world, everybody would know more about themselves, know more how they, how they view the world, how they react to things, how they can be a better manager, a better leader. Um, you know, so it's just very interesting that the queer community has to do so much soul searching for ourselves. And the labels are just part of what society puts on us. Right. But even if you're straight, you have to do a lot of soul searching to figure out who you are. You know, do you want a family? What type of job do you want? Like, what do you want to be doing every day? Like, mm -hmm. you know, how to interact with your family? Like, these are all basic concepts that every human being goes through. It's just that the queer community is doing it in the public eye, in the world, in the society that we live in. And so you guys are physically seeing it happen when we communicate or when we're trying to find ourselves. You know, the world has just created all of these labeling options and try to like, you know, oh, well, you're this or you're that. And it's like, well, Maybe today I am, but, you know, there's some people that, you know, change over time. And we all know that we all change over time. Relationships Absolutely. change. Yes. You know, your relationship with your wives or your husbands could change over 25 years. Everybody knows that that happens, you know. And and so just being honest with yourself about that and communicating that is is something that the queer community has has to do to be able to just justify our existence. And I think that's the difference between. um what we're going through and what the world is seeing us go through. Well, it's interesting. My, one of my favorite people in my in the world is one of my sisters who she is open, uh, was, was married and now has other, other relationships, but hearing what you were saying, you know, it helps me realize there's probably been a lot more that she's gone through than what we've talked about. And we're pretty open in talking about things. Um, and I appreciate how you've how you've framed that so i don't know if i talk about things as as the queer community as that is now the kind of the shortcut to all the letters or <laughs> if that's not appropriate in all such situations as as a member as a non-member of the community i would be cautious okay yeah 
but understanding what the word means if it's used and how it's used. Like if you were to hear your sister say it, you may, you may see and hear, oh, wow, like she used the word queer, like you don't use that anymore. When maybe, you know, you kind of have a little bit more education of why it's being used and why you see it in social media, why you mm-hmm. see it in articles, why you see that is because it's being redefined. Okay. But as a, as, a non, as a non-member of the queer community, using the word queer can have, uh, can be a trigger for some people. Gotcha. So okay. not everybody, right? Because we're not, we can't have one word that kind of, but essentially, yeah, I think it's, I think you have to be cautious if you, if you are a non-member uh, and using the word. Okay. Um, I think LGBT plus, LGBTQ plus is the appropriate way to essentially, you know, but 10 years from now, maybe everybody's using the word queer in any capacity, yeah. but you have to understand where it's coming from. It's coming from you coming from right. a place where they may not see you as a, as a friend, you know, maybe as a foe. So it's like, you have to be all, all cautious about that. I just say the community, like when I say the community, people, people actually think, oh, you're meeting like your community. Like they make all the assumptions for me. And also pronouns. Like if you're not sure about people's pronouns, use their name. Use the name that they asked you to use. And you were giving a huge sign of respect just doing that. So Marcia, you, you talked about <clears throat> confusion. And I, I mean, I certainly agree. I'm not part of that community. It is confusing to me. And this has been an area for me of difference that's been the most difficult. Mm-hmm. I'm open, but mm-hmm. it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's just hard. And, and I, it's hard for me to, it is hard pun intended to say that because I don't want to say that out loud and it is. And that's one of the reasons I'm reading more and asking more questions because it, the fact that it's hard for me doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> that's, not, that's like, right. well, that's, there's so many things to that, but here's my question. How much do you believe the confusing elements of it? is showing up as a form of resistance to it, especially in the workplace mm-hmm. versus just a belief system. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a mix too, right? My belief system can turn into, oh no, I'm just confused by this. Why can't it be simpler? I don't have any belief issues. Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe I do. Mm-hmm. You know, in the workplace, um, I just read a statistic last night. It was like, you know, 59% of non-LGBT people um, believe that it's still unprofessional to talk about sexual orientation and gender identity in the workplace. 59%. However, 80% of non-LGBT people um, believe that you are allowed to be your true authentic self at, you know, at work. Interesting. So it's like, how... (laughs) How are you saying that I can be who I am at work? But if we're still talking about it at work, it's still slightly unprofessional. And so that's where it, it, it becomes a, a double-edged sword, right? Um, I think that when we present information to people, I think presenting information is, is critical in how you connect. Just because you're giving out and you're, you're posting about pride or you're posting about Black Lives Matter, like it there's how you do it, I think speaks more. And that's where I think, and as an ally, you have to understand truly like what you're doing. You're educating yourself. That is the number one thing an ally can do is educate, educate, communicate, talk to people that are not like you talk to different leaders that are not like you, that didn't have the same upbringing. I mean, you know, this, and when you're doing leadership conversations with people, all different types of leaders, right? It's the same thing with understanding the community is that, we're all completely different and you're not going to get the same stories. You're not. And so if you think that you are like, I'm going to give you the golden ticket and all the answers to help solve your diversity issues at your organization, you're absolutely wrong. Cause the only person I can speak for is Marcia and my experiences. That's it. I can't speak for anybody else. I can help facilitate conversation. I can help facilitate ideas sharing, um, which is what we're doing here at WGI is being able to have different perspective and different story sharing opportunities for the people that are willing to share so that the people that are not willing to share or have no understanding will be like, wow, okay, let me, let me read this article or let me look at this in a different way. Or let me look at this team member on my team that identifies as non-binary and let me try to understand them. And when they share their story, you're like, oh, wow, like, you know, a person within our organization that shared for pride talked about growing up in a world where she did not understand why 
she was any different because she was mm. growing up with parents that would let her complete be completely who she was. It wasn't until she went into workforce mm. that she realized, oh, I'm not supposed to be like I'm getting discriminated against because of this. I can't talk about this at work. Why is that? And this is a millennial that mm. works and went into the workforce and now is realizing, oh, I can't can't talk about this. Like this is not like why does this even matter? Why are we even talking about this at work? So because for, they grew up in a I'm sorry. No, because they grew up in a world within their home environment that allowed them to be who they were. So for leaders who are trying to embrace the the holistic nature of people, you know, that everybody is different. Mm -hmm. Do you encourage them to have that conversation with somebody and and ask about the experience? I mean, like I would I would want to know about anybody mm -hmm. who comes into my organization right. and finding out more about their background and so forth. Um, do you think that it is um, off-putting or even yeah. uh, potentially harmful to, to yeah. ask specifically about their, their approach? Yeah, I think when you talk to more people within the community, you'll start realizing that there is a lot of hurt and hardship. Yeah. And there's people that are going to do the complete opposite of what I'm doing, that are never going to talk about their personal life, that are never going to talk about their family at work, that don't feel you need to know anything about it. Yeah, That does exist as well. And there's reasons for everybody's decision on whether they're open um, at work um, or whether they're um, want to communicate about it. So, you know, having an employee come into an organization, like we had five or six people join our division in the last month or two. And I made it a point, whether they're anywhere in the country to have a 30 minute introduction with these young people. Um, and just, I shared, you know, I created a space for sharing mm -hmm. and I, I talked to them about, you know, my role in the organization. And I talked about, you know, where, you know, where I came from and what I'm doing with our, there are diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts um, and our culture and our core values. And I, I created a space very early on. So yeah, they didn't have to share with me. Um, I did ask them, like, tell me something about yourself. That's not on your resume. Like whether it's a hobby or something that they did, right. Or something that they're interested in. Um, but at, by me sharing, I opened up a safe space for them to share. Mm -hmm. And so they can share if they want to, but it's not mandatory, but it's just a way to connect. Right. Like one, 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 um, graduate engineer, played soccer in college. So he's a college athlete. Boom. I'm a college athlete. So now we have like this, like college athlete mentality in terms of, Hey, you, you work really hard in, in school, getting an engineering degree and you play college. I know what that's like. And that's a form of connection, right? So now I have a young engineer that if I reach out to, Hey, I need some help with some engineering design, you know, is he going to pick up the phone or is he going to ignore my phone call? Is he going to ignore my email? Is he not going to want to work with me? Mm -hmm. I want a team that is is begging to want to work on my team or, or knows that if they come to my team, they're going to be valued and recognized for their individual efforts and their skills. And that's where I'm providing that level of leadership to them, but I'm also giving them a platform to share. So as a leader, I think new people, you know, when you're interviewing somebody, you take the time to get to know them, um, whether they're a personality, if they're going to fit on your team, like these are things that you would do normally, sure, but sure. how you do it, I think is different. Uh, some organizations are just, you know, go through the motions and kind of just saying they're doing this, even though they're not actively, you know, really digging deep and, and creating an environment for inclusivity. Okay. So it really comes back to leading the charge with vulnerability, just like we would in any other aspect. Mm -hmm. And that's a very different concept in the business world. Uh, like, the <laughs> 80s, like you would never, you know, in the eighties or, you know, early on that it's just like you go to work. And, and, and so this is yeah. the different culture. And I'm trying to educate people that the new generation they want to work for a place that's, that they believe in and that they feel morally connected to. And it's until we have vulnerability in our leadership that we're going to gain these, this talent that's going to come in. Because right now, the talent has all the options right now. Right. They can go anywhere they want to go. For, like, you could look for an engineering job in Tampa and everybody's hiring. So what company do you want to work for? What type of office environment do you want to be in? The millennials are, and, and the Gen Zers are making active choices. And if they don't find what they're looking for, guess what? They're going to go and build up their own business. <laughs> they, yep. They're so much more of an entrepreneur, you know, culture that they've made million dollars before they're 18 on YouTube. Like they don't feel that they need us. Right. So we have to give them more vision and more of a, um, 
you know, an idea of, of to be something bigger than themselves. Marcy, I had a question when you're talking about that one statistic, it jumped out at me, the 59% thought it was unprofessional. And what hit me was this, because this happens in the the workplace, right? Let's say I'm in the office, you and I are both in the office. And Craig is in the office and Craig says, Jeff, what'd you do this weekend? I say, I I went, I went out to dinner, had a wonderful dinner with my girlfriend. Mm -hmm. Craig asks you the same question. You say, I had a wonderful, had a wonderful weekend, had a great dinner with my girlfriend. Mm-hmm. I could see some of that 59% saying your answer is unprofessional. Right. Wow. And mine isn't mm-hmm. because it's normative. Right. Well, now the 59% comes from the community, not from. No, that's um, non LGBT. Right? No, not oh, LGBT. Okay. okay. It's unprofessional. Yeah. Now, remember, like, now that, ex- that ex- okay. example is one example, right? Um, when I have grown up in the industry, especially in New York City, I was a little bit more welcomed in New York City as in 2005. Sure. Like it was a little bit more of a inclusive culture, right? Mm-hmm. There was a lot of diversity in New York City. So I kind of grew up in starting my career early on and I had a girlfriend at the time and I normalized it. I went to the coffee station and what'd you do this weekend? And I would share because, you know, you shared about your wife and, you know, like here in Tampa, people talk about it. I had this example and they went, they took their kids to Bush Gardens here in Tampa, which is a theme park. And, and I had mentioned, oh, I took my nieces to, you know, the zoo. And it was just easy. Like, it's kind of like, it's the same thing. And then this gentleman was like, oh, well, I'm like, like, I could see in his mind that he's going through like, oh, like, you're just like me. Like, you do things with kids. <laughs> like, I, it, it was just like a, a mental, you could see, he didn't say it, but it was kind of like, oh, wow, like you're kind of normal. And I'm like, yeah, I want the white picket fence too. Like, you know, like, I don't know. You know, like, so you guys laugh at that, but the reality is, is that there's not enough people kind of in this neutral ground that are willing to do that. Mm. Why? Because of legislation, laws, you know, um, safety, you know, people have been fired for being gay. People have been kicked out of their homes Mm. for being gay. I mean, you can look at the statistics of all the laws in all the different states. There are laws that don't protect LGBTQ people within the typical society that we live in and work in. So if the law doesn't recognize it, how would I, why should I be vulnerable in this state? Well, I need to have my job. I have to take care of my family. So there is a level of like give and take where if you, and if you don't know the laws in your state, you should, or you don't know the laws in your city, you should find out so that you can understand maybe why they're not being vulnerable. So Marcia, this is so rich. Uh could you talk for a little bit about, I mean, you're, you're doing work within your own organization, leading the DEI initiative. You work as a consultant in that arena. Um, I, I didn't want to make sure we talk about a couple of those things, but the first question I want to make sure we talk about is intersectionality, which is a, fo- um, in this space, a lot of, for a lot of people, that's where they go, what are you talking about? But for you, you know, you are a, um, identify as a woman, you are a lesbian, you are uh, a person of color, you are navigating a lot of differences in your life. And I say that because I think people tend to, I used to throw everybody a bucket, mm-hmm. say, well, you're just, you're, you're experiencing this as a woman. Well, actually, mm-hmm. no, you're experiencing this as a woman who's a lesbian, who's, uh, um, of color. And um, someone who presents masculine, the cre- and, and those are all different. There's all different impacts for you. Mm-hmm. How is that impacting your life journey, and how does it inform your work in the DEI space? I think it's interesting um, because a lot of uh, DEI representatives, you know, I don't want to use the word experts because. I can't be an expert of being a black female gay engineer in (laughs) like, I can't really, I can't have those relatable like experiences because they're not mine. Right. Um, You know, a lot of times right now you guys are physically seeing me and I've been out in the sun for a while, but nine times out of 10, I'm, I can pass as, as, as Caucasian, as white, uh, a person, not of color. Yeah. I had no idea. Right. And so the reality is, is that, um, yeah, my experiences are very different. And I think that I'm able to share how all those differences apply to me 
and the person that's in the middle in terms of the intersexuality, like the, the word is Marcia. Like there's no label for all of these things. And okay, now what is a person with this and this? I'm like, no, it's just me. And I think that, like I said, when you take a big step back, you know, everybody is, you know, has the essence of who they are. Like you could take, a lot of people forget that inclu- inclusiveness is encompassing with a lot of other things that people are not talking about. Age, size, um, where you grew up, you know, your background, um, the type of lifestyle that you led, whether we were traveling all over the world or you were, you know, born and raised in Ocala, Florida, right? So I think it's interesting. Everybody has intersectionality on some, on some degree and it's called, you know, and the word in the middle is Jeff. The word in the middle is <laughs> like, but so it's just very interesting how we're the, you know, when it comes to race, class, gender, you know, sexual um, orientation, gender identity, like all of these other things, like we're just, we're, it's being highlighted in our community when the reality is it exists everywhere. Right. And I think that really good leaders and really good managers are people that understand that exists for each. And that's why you don't lead the same way with everybody. If you want a very high performing, successful team, you don't lead by yelling at all the um, basketball players on the court, you know, the same way, like you, you coach differently, right? Like you coach one person differently than coach the best. And I think the best teams and the best leaders and you know, the most successful teams are, you know, have leadership that do that. Um, and so I think that when I communicate about my story, like I'm always tying back to the norm, the idea that, Hey, we're all here to do something amazing. Like I want to be, I knew that building the Operato experience as a platform for, I knew when I was building it, that it was going to be a blog at the time. That was the purpose. But there's something in my mind that I knew that this is going to be bigger than just some fashion architecture blog. Like I had this weird feeling as I was building it that this will be the legacy I leave behind. Hmm. And when you actively know that, that's kind of scary. (laughs) When you're actively realizing you're going through this process, like, wow, like, okay. So I was very thoughtful about the logo and the coloring and the idea. Like I, I just knew it had to be able to be anything at the end of the day. Like the platform had to be able to mold and shift and and become something that's hugely, you know, um, universal. It could be a movie producing company. It could have been, you know, a modeling agency. It could have been a consulting business for engineering. It could have been like, it could have been anything. So I've been able to take it. um, And now, you know, during the pandemic is when I decided to officially make it like an LLC. And I'm still working on like revitalizing the website a little bit. But the reality is it's it's still kind of a platform that I will, will stay with me regardless on, you know, what organization or, or you know, if I stay at WGI until I retire or if I move on. But the Dalvarado experience is, is mine, right? It's, it's, it's part of me. It stays with me. I love so, the style on that website. <laughs> yeah, it's still kind of I, it, the goal was to create a very fashion editorial blog. I didn't want like, oh, blog post, blog post, blog post. I wanted something that made you feel like you were reading this interesting magazine and you're captivated by the photography. That was the I goal. want some of your clothes. <laughs> well, uh, they're in the closet. Like <laughs> I don't think I can fit. I don't know if anything will fit, but you know, I know a good tailor. <laughs> so so Marcia, your work in DEI, and you made a reference to this several minutes ago about organizations talking about this, but not really mm-hmm. making change. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a complex topic, but if you're going to work with an organization, what are some of the keys that you're going to talk to them about or ask them about mm-hmm. to take them from talking about it to mm-hmm. really moving in that mm-hmm. direction? So I think a lot of organizations try to create like a culture or, um, you know, having core values or having a mission or a vision for who, who what the company does, right? Um, I think really good companies spend a lot of time on the branding of who they are as an organization or who they want to be. And the organizations that do that are very known. Like you, you just feel it when you see somebody who talks about an organization that they're passionate about, or you see an advertisement or you like, you just feel like they put a lot of thought into that. And I think that that's a big part of what it takes to build a brand, right? That's just brand awareness. Like if WGI was a human being, what type of music would WGI listen to? 
Like what type of food do they like? What type of drinks do they drink? Like really taking an organization and building like, what is your brand? What is your culture? What do you want to exude out into the world? What do you want them to feel without them knowing that they're feeling it, right? That's just brand 101, right? And a lot of different like ad agencies are doing that for companies, but to do it within yourself, it takes practice. You have to build, you know, a culture. You have to actively practice it. Um, and I think that it takes, you know, a lot of education that sometimes organizations don't necessarily do, right? Um, when it comes to an engineering company, let's just say, you know, when you come in and you're a young engineer and you're taught to do this type of engineering, this type of software, and this, it's like, well, what about the leadership aspects of what it means to be a leader in engineering? Like, what is it? So I think the conversations that you can have when you're bringing young people in or when you're, you know, when you bring someone new in is if you're actively talking about your core values or you're actively talking about leadership styles and you're actively talking about like, that's where you can really help build um, a good culture within the organization that people feel valued. They feel welcome. They feel like they can, you know, make change. Uh, they can innovate. And so me joining the organization at this pivotal time has been amazing because they're recognizing that, you know, they're getting a lot of hits and they're getting a lot of touch points yeah. because of the core values. Um, the core values were, were launched the end of last year. And I think through 2020 um, and a lot of the turmoil that happened, there was a lot of vocal leaders in the organization that said, we need to be doing something more. Mm. And so that's where, <clears throat> excuse me, my role came in to help with DE&I because of my experience of living it, I guess, but also me taking the time to like educate myself more to be able to communicate to shareholders, to corporate to senior leadership on how, because the how we do it is the most important part, not that we're doing it. So yeah, Marcia, I, I, good. A lot of people look, and they're looking today, and it's happening, these culture or value statements around diversity, equity, inclusion are coming from the top. Mm -hmm. And I'm hearing about a lot of organization that it's just talk. In mm -hmm. good words, it's not getting, it's not coming down, it's not getting integrated. And Craig and I talk a lot about leadership being everywhere. It's not positional. It's like you said, day one, you have the opportunity to lead. So what is the role of the team, the organization, the people of the organization in driving this, even if it's not being really driven from the top? Can, can the people create that culture when it comes to DEI? Of course. Um, I think that's one of the approaches that we're taking. Um, we created an inclusive committee which is a group of volunteers that represent all of the different offices around the country. And, um, and ironically, they became diverse group of people. Um, and these are, this is a grassroots initiative with senior leadership involved, but we've created a space since I've been here for the last three or four months where we have, you know, monthly meetings. I touch point with a lot of different people in the organization and they're young engineers, they're marketing coordinators, they're architects, they're, you know, um, you know, people in business development, but they're they're all from different walks of life so that we can get a collective information about what is it like to work in our San Antonio office? What is it like to work in Indianapolis? Um, what is it like to be a, a black person in Jacksonville? Like we're able to we've created a space and it didn't happen day one. It, it, sure. I created a space where I shared and I said some ideas and then one other person would share and then another person would share. And then the president Greg Sauter, who's involved in our committee, shared. And then we have our human resources director is sharing about things. And so we've created a space. And now over time, what's happening is people are starting to recognize, wow, like, okay, we're talking about it. We're doing something. And now we have the opportunity to um, create an initiative that speaks to our organization and to the employees of our organization. So Marcia, this is such a rich and important conversation. Uh, my my wrap-up question is this. You have and will have future opportunities to talk to senior positional leaders in organizations mm -hmm. about that want to do something different around DEI. What's the key point you're going to tell them? Know thyself. <laughs> I mean, the reality is, is we're asking an organization to do something that if we haven't been able to do it for ourselves, then how can you do it for anybody else or any type of business you run? I think that vulnerability is my superpower. I think that I've been born with it very luckily, uh, which is how I was able to connect with people, doesn't matter what part of the country or what language you're speaking, like or or how little I know them. 
which is how I was, how I easily was able to connect with you, Jeff, from the very first time we met. Like, so if I know who I am, I can, I can kind of share that with the world. And I think that leadership are looking for the answers in ideas or in innovation or in something else externally. When the reality is, if you know everything you need to know about yourself and you go through that soul searching, there's an aura that people feel when they're around you. Absolutely. Right. So like when you walk into an office um, and there's always that one person in the office that is not in management, not in leadership, but everybody seems to congregate around their desk. They're always having conversations around them. We have one and it's not even me. It's Kurt two doors down. And for some reason, three times a day, everybody's in his office. Like everybody's (laughs) hanging out. Everybody's talking. He is kind of the pulse, right? Um, Now he is in a leadership position, but the reality is is the young people in this office view him as a leader, but also view him as a human being that is willing to share anything and everything. And they can go to him um, if they have a problem or if they have an issue. We don't have to wait for an employee engagement survey once a year to share about what's going on in their life and why they're challenged by their job or what's going on. So for leadership, if they're not able to tap into themselves, then it's going to be a very challenging um, transition. But I think that if organization really wants to change, they have to allow for the grassroots option. They have to create a safe space for all types of employees to be engaged in the decision-making and and that they can be actively talking about it in a real way. And that's going to take time. You know, no one's going to just speak up to leaders about the president of the organization like me and tell them what's what's wrong and what we need to change. There will be people like me. And if an organization can find those people within their organization, then it's going to benefit them. Because my existence of being in this organization has changed so many people in the organization that are now willing to share, that are empowered now mm-hmm. to share. Whether, But if I didn't exist they would still be doing what they're doing and not speak up. So finding those influencers inside an organization, finding those people that um, are naturally people are drawn to, those are the ones that have the most vulnerability. I love it. I love that because that speaks so much to this topic as well as leadership. And the phrase that hit me is the courage of the one (laughs) can change everything. Yep. And it truly is transformational. So the first week I was here, because I, as you guys know, I use my pronouns in like my LinkedIn account and, and I use it so that people feel comfortable and know how to address me because I know who I am. It's okay. I don't need my pronouns on it. But for you to say, okay, what pronouns do you use? Or if you don't feel comfortable asking, I'm voluntarily giving it to you. Um, so first day I'm sitting here and I'm on the computer. It's like three months ago. And I'm like, okay, I'm building an Outlook email and I, my, my signature is not there. Like it doesn't exist. I'm like, okay, let me go create it, right? I'm thinking I have to go create my signature for the company. No. Asked my neighbor next door. He's like, oh no, it's automatically generated by IT. And I was like, oh, okay. He's like, but I don't see it. He's like, go to your sent mail and look, you'll see it written there. I'm like, oh, perfect. So I go in there and look at my name, you know, my title, you know, my phone number and all the, well, there's like, there were some errors. There weren't, there was like the phone number was wrong. I wanted the accent on my eye that I write. I was like, I wanted a few changes. So I said, well, let me email IT just to make a few updates. And then I copied my, my direct supervisor. So he was aware. And then I asked, Hey, can you add my pronouns after my PE so that internally and externally people know how to address me? Well, that triggered a phone conversation. <laughs> Someone got to receive the email and picked up the phone and called me and said uh, from HR and said, hey, this is an automatic thing, but um, I don't want to say no because they knew why I was in the organization. But they're like, let me let me find out. Let me make some few phone calls and I'll get back. Sure, no problem. Call whoever you need to call because <laughs> it was more of an automatic thing. Um, well, then a week later, they called me and my pronouns were listed behind my name. And I was the only one in the company that had probably ever asked or had the balls to ask, right? (laughs) (laughs) So what happened? I emailed out to people in the organization and everybody's like now like, oh, how'd you get that? Like, how did you have your partner? Like, so now it's triggering. I'm like, and they're like, well, how can I do that? I'm like, well, talk to your supervisor, talk to IT and just ask. I was like, the more people that ask, the more that's going to be normalized. And if at some point the organization, you know, is, is one of my goals is to make it an option when you come into the organization. Do you want your pronouns listed? Here's an option. You don't have to, but it's it's your prerogative to. And, and the more people that do it, the more it can be normalized. 
Well, Marcia, this is so rich and uh, so grateful you spent the time with us here today. Uh, I know our listeners are going to just be challenged mm -hmm. as well as inspired. So we always want to give our guests a chance to promote something. Is there something in particular going on for you personally, professionally, you want to share with everyone? Um, you know, the, you know, the, the DE&I effort here is, is working, um, we're working on launching our, um, uh, we're branding it as our Jedi Council. So Jedi <laughs> is, uh, stands for Justice, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. And um, so our, our Jedi Council is represent, representation of, of our inclusion committee that was formulated. And we're creating a really cool internal uh, landing page for our Jedi um, initiative, essentially. And, and it's this idea around, you know, your awareness level within the Jedi world um, you know, as you know, you have someone who's, you know, a Jedi master versus, you know, your young Padawan learner. So reference <laughs> to Star Wars and everybody in the organization is on some journey is, is it at a certain place, you know, whether your awareness level is at a one or at a 10, but the reality is, is you're on a journey. And so we have uh, our Jedi council, which meets every month to come up with initiatives. And then we are building out a lot of educational opportunities, uh, and, and platform for conversation, for story sharing, um, that people within the organization will be able to learn, to educate, to reach out to all of these different individuals based on um, five or six initiatives. And so we're gonna be working on that internally before we can you know, externally put it out to the world. But it's, it's really amazing how the company has embraced the idea. And I love the concept of, you know, uh, you know they talk about the force, right? Yeah. Uh, it's something where you're just, essentially enlightened to a very heightened level. Um, and this is where, you know, people within our organization are at different levels and it's okay, but we're all trying to get to a certain place. And I think that's the cool journey about how we're going to do it here at WGI. If anything, I would like to promote that because that's something that I can't wait to share outwardly. And, um, and, but uh, it's going to take a little bit of time, but once we, once we put it out there, I think it'll be kind of a really cool model for people to, to, uh, to, to, to impact, to share and implement. Absolutely. I think Jedi council makes, makes D and I badass. <laughs> yeah. So Marcia, what is the, what are the best ways for people to connect with you? Um, social media. <laughs> okay. I mean, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very active on LinkedIn. Uh, you know, I'm pretty easy to find. Um, and then, you know, I use Instagram as my, my, my visual, activism, you know, it's, it's kind of the place that I, it's the social media platform that I enjoy using and being a part of. So those are the two best. Uh, my, my Instagram handle is the Alvarado EXP. <laughs> um, and my, my social media handle is the same for all social media platforms. So it, it's the same. You can just, you know, find me on the Alvarado experience, uh, what, uh, com is my website and, and all connections to, uh, my stuff are on there. So Wonderful, wonderful. So we always wrap up with a question. And my question to you, Marcia, is what's the book? What's the one book people need to read? Hmm. Hmm. I would say that, you know, I'm as an engineer, I'm like, I spend so much time reading engineering text like codes that when I go home, like reading has not always been like my, my best, uh, you know, I have all these books at home and I, I haven't finished any of them. Like, it's just one of those things, but I have to say more recently, I read, um, Jennifer Brown's how to be an inclusive leader. Um, and she has become a great mentor for me in the last few years. Um, we've had a few connections, but reading her book helped me to understand how I can be an inclusive, like, leader within an organization and how I can present that out to connect with like senior leadership or, or management. So, uh, that's probably the most recent, you know, pickup. And, um, but yeah, I have to go back and like now having this DNI lens, like I have to go back and read a lot of other books, like leadership books, because I'm, I'm viewing it very differently now. Well, that's called transformation <laughs> so Marcia yeah. thanks so much for being with us and bringing so much yes. to this and our audience and more importantly the work you are doing every day and the way you're showing up every day with Adam. 
No worries. Thank you so much for having me. If you enjoy the Leadership Junkies podcast and you want to grow your leadership, we have a new course for you called Become a Confident Leader. In this course, we will share some of the keys to becoming more confident in your leadership and also to become more impactful. Go to cartavera.com confident to find out more. See you on the inside. The world's best known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.